everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And here we are for the Invested Podcast. Yet again, we're so excited because we are going through the process of explaining as best we can how to do Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger style, what is sometimes called value investing, um, but which we think is a subset of value investing that we also call rule one type investing. Um, which basically involves buying a relatively small number of companies that you intend to hold forever, um, which you buy because they are two things, wonderful and on sale. And you can know that they're wonderful because of two things, three things. They are <laughs> summarizing just, 180 This is just minutes. continuing on and on. Uh, because one, you're capable of understanding the business and you do in fact understand the business the way you would understand like buying the house next door to rent out to somebody. You understand the neighborhood, you understand the foundation's good, you understand who's gonna manage it, and you got the numbers. You understand the business. And the business has a protective moat. It is a durably competitive business, meaning like the house next door, it's in a great neighborhood. It's going to stay great for a long time. And what that allows you to do is to project into the future a long way that the business will be around and be more productive down the road in 10 years. You may not know how much more productive, but you know it's going to be a better business, a bigger business of some sort, just like the house next door, you know, is going to be renting for more in 10 years than it is today because it's in a good neighborhood and so on. So those two things. And then you know the management's a good team and they're honest and have integrity and they're trustworthy and they're talented and they're gonna rent your house out for the right price. That's what you need to know to know it's wonderful. And then on sale, we run through a couple different ways of looking at margin of safety prices. You wanna buy it with a big margin of safety. And one of those we're gonna look at in detail wow. today. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I feel like you need a breather. I just drank a Coke. <laughs> um, so that's my dad, you guys, if you're new to this podcast. And um, for those of us who find investing to be maybe a little bit boring, maybe a little bit uh, not your favorite part of things you got to get done. What I'm trying to do is find everything he just said interesting. In <laughs> is that what you're trying to do? You're trying to find it interesting. And all this time, I thought you were like deeply involved and so fascinated by it, like me. But see, here's, the, here's the difference. I Danielle, am, though. I've succeeded. That's the difference. I've succeeded. You in have finding. succeeded in finding it interesting, which is really actually quite difficult for a lot of I people. I agree, which is why I'm making the point. It's difficult. And... You know, for me, we never talked about this. I found it interesting back in 1980 when I started this whole thing. I found it interesting because I was sick and tired of being broke. And I decided I would go full blast as an investor after I apprenticed with this guy. And um, and it was interesting just from that perspective, like you were, you were not yet born and I was in this crazy apprenticeship, I was making no money. And then if you recall, you know, well, you won't recall because we're not there yet, but you got there shortly thereafter. Okay. And as a little baby, all of a sudden I've got responsibilities. I mean, having a kid, holy smokes, that'll jack it up for a, for a, for your your desire to make some money. If you're a guy like me, who I think the most money I ever made in one year was a little over four thousand dollars a year. So that was not a lot. And now all of a sudden I got no. a family. So I had to figure this out. And I basically am not hireable by anybody. I didn't think I couldn't really 
see myself in, an, in an, uh, any kind of a nine to five job. Not because I don't like nine to five. I think I work a lot harder than that, frankly, and always have. But that um, someone would have to appreciate that I could make them more money than they're paying me. <laughs> I'm not that sure who that person would have been. So I didn't. I had to go on my own, and and so it was always fascinating to me, just from the point of view of I have to survive, and I have to pay for your food and your mom's food, and a place to live, and yeah, that made it interesting right there. And maybe that's why a lot of people do this. I mean, that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, I think? mean, um, I just heard you say two things. The most fascinating one is the first one, which is that all of this that you've created and accomplished is due to me. That's not exactly. <laughs> Fine. And that foin, that's a classic foin moment. But wait, and but then, wait, I'm telling you, listen, I'm just saying this. I, honey, I love you so much. And absolutely, I, all of this that, that followed, you could, you could say for sure it was because of you. you. My baby, my first child, and... Absolutely. I mean, it just changes me from being a river guide living out of a bag for, you know, a decade to somebody that had to get responsible and focus and, and get it done, you know? Well, yeah, and I think I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that experience. I don't have kids, so I haven't, like, been through that, but I, I can imagine it, it forces you to all of a sudden be like, whoa, I'm responsible for somebody else. I better uh, make this happen. But then secondly, the other interesting thing you said was that it's you, you got interested because you were out of necessity, essentially. And I have to say, knowing you, you are such, you have such a numbers brain that I, I think you found this stuff interesting, but you might not have had the motivation. Like maybe that's those circumstances give you the motivation, but I think you are just naturally drawn. I to this will thing. confess that when I learned how to use a spreadsheet, it was a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really couldn't sleep. The reverential tones. I couldn't believe how great it was to figure out that you could, you know, it's like I would start to flow numbers off of a business and like how it should flow into the future. And you could make up these different stories about what's going to happen and you would immediately see the thing flow out through this spreadsheet it was nirvana and i i did really actually love that that was you know people fun. ask me a lot why i never learned investing from you and i think there's multiple layers to that answer but definitely one of the layers is that i do not feel like that about a spreadsheet <laughs> and you do and i think you didn't ever imagine that there would be a person in the world who doesn't feel that way about a spreadsheet and so like i remember you showing me things and you just get so into it and you put in your numbers and it's like boom 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 and like here's the answer isn't that amazing and i'm like I, maybe like I, I couldn't tell you if it's amazing or not you know the most um, fun thing about this for me knowing that everything you're saying is totally true is that you married a guy just like oh, me. He loves <laughs> His He's, tones are more reverential than yours, in if it's fact, possible. Both of you, my two 
fabulous daughters married two guys who are spreadsheet That's true. masters. That's true. <laughs> they put me to shame. If I really wanted to understand a spreadsheet, I could ask either one of them. They could explain the whole thing. I mean, honestly, uh, they're phenomenal. Every now and then I think of something that like, oh, I'd like to find that out or like run a graph or something. And I'm like, oh, I just I have no idea how anyone would ever do that. And then I'll ask one of them and they'll just be like, boom, 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 boom. Here you go. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Really? And they're like, oh, uh, let me do something hard. Like, give me a better one. You know, I mean. <laughs> Literally, it's like a five-minute project, something that would take me days. But that's how everything is, you know. If you know how to do it, like, you just—it's just—it comes much more easily once you've become an expert on something. And they're very I good at it. I love it. Both my daughters married guys like me, even though neither of those guys would say oh, that they're like me at all. That's the criterion: whether that or not one cool. enjoys spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if that's what uh, we're going with, then there you go, Dad. Full uh, credit. Just, so cool so cool so, so let's let's we... go in let's go into this thing we, we're talking about okay we're going to get a wonderful business we're going to get it on sale so we're going to talk about the idea of on sale we've been pushing this down the road a little bit um and we have been looking specifically at a version of you know what's a margin of safety price for business that warren buffett has come up with um buried into a 1986 letter and followed up on like several years later, I think 2014, like what was that, 20 years later, um, to is a kind of a revelation in how to look at a business. And I think it's really, really valuable. And we dig into this deep in the book, Invested, of course, um, but this is called Owner Earnings and it's not a generally accepted accounting set of numbers. You have to generate these numbers and therein lies the rub a little yeah. bit like how which numbers do you gather and how do you look at it and um in most things that we do where i'm teaching danielle how to do this and, and she's learning our reference point is almost always warren buffett who's almost always made a really clear statement or if not warren charlie munger um, one of them has always made a very clear statement about the process the, the actual strategy that you use in the process of unfolding that strategy to figure out if this is a good business for you to buy. Except for this. This is one of those areas where it's just not possible to, you know, put it in a computer and spit out an answer. That there, it, there requires an understanding of the business that you can't tell a computer. And so you have to um, kind of generate this number on your own from understanding your business. Um, but I think it's the best number you can do. I think it's worth really understanding it. I will I, say, and I, I think maybe I've never said this publicly, when you told me you wanted to put this owner earnings formula in the book, mm -hmm. I did not want to do that. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because it's, it's, it, it takes some real understanding to decipher it with a complicated public company and i find it difficult i mean it's in my book it's in our book under our names and i still find it difficult and i'm totally fine with saying that because i think it it's just by its nature it's um it's an amorphous figure it's really depends it's more of an art than a science yeah and 
I was really worried about putting that out there to everybody and having all of you guys go, oh, this is so bloody hard. I'm not even going to try it. Right. But, but it's worth trying. And, I, and we had a big fight about it. And then I agreed that we could put it in the book. And, um, and I think it's really, as you said to me, Dad, when you were convincing me to do it, that it would make our book, first of all, a groundbreaker, because this is just quite simply not out there because people have made it so difficult trying right. to figure out exactly what Buffett does. Right. And secondly, people think that people like me, people who are learning this stuff, can't do it. And I completely 100% disagree with that. We can do it. And the formula you've created, Dad, is, I think, excellent. And we said, you know what, we're just going to put it in and we're going to explain it on the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to show you all the things that are right about it and all the things that are wrong about it. Yeah. And I'm going to defend this. I'm going to defend our structure of this formula because we did make it so that it's it could be done by a computer, basically. Uh, well, not quite. Well, not really. Because yeah. maintenance CapEx is definitely yeah. something you got to figure out. But um, we're getting closer to like a real well-defined formula. And that makes it almost certainly wrong in almost certainly every case. But what we're practicing here is to be approximately right rather than precisely wrong. And, and it was incredibly important it, once we had that conversation and you convinced me. I now think it's so important to have it in the book because it gives us, we have three ways of pricing and valuing a company and having three different ways. And one of them, well, multiple of them, but this one in particular requires that you really understand the company. As you go through this formula, you will know if you do not understand this company <laughs> yeah, <you> because, really <laughs> because you won't be able to finish it. And so it's uh, to me, it's, it's a fantastic, it's just a fantastic part of the investing practice. And I'm so proud that we put it in. So there you go. Me too. Um, and, by the and, way, you guys really quickly, I'm, I'm recording this from a WeWork location. So, and I'm actually sitting in one of these phone booths they have for private calls and there's an elevator by me. So yeah, it sounds a little tinny. Noise. It sounds a little tinny. So if you're looking, yeah. if you're hearing, that doesn't sound as good as it often does. I think people are laughing right now because often isn't, I mean, I sometimes we sound pretty good. So we're doing we our broadcasting, good. you know, between Zurich and Atlanta, Georgia, or between Portland, Oregon, and Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or from Vancouver. I mean, we're doing this yeah, all over the place. We're traveling a lot. And today yeah. I'm in New York at a WeWork by Carnegie Hall. And it's cool. I wanted to come try it out and check out this company because they might go public next year. And, and I wanted to experience it for myself. So, um, so podcast from WeWork. So again, if you guys hear the background <laughs> noise, that's... It's we work people. Um, if, all right, if, Dad. If, if you hear water flowing, it's the waterfall outside in the pool. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there for your we work. <laughs> I like my we work pretty darn good right here. Uh, okay. There goes the waterfall. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh -huh. So let's talk about owner earnings. We talked already about um, net income starting out with net income yeah and for you guys following along in the book which i highly recommend the book invested it's on page 194 the formula and i'll just reach i read out our formula dad can i say by the way we're getting a an enormous number of people coming to the workshop we do a, a 
a workshop where we'll, we'll basically, if you've got the book and go to the website, we'll give you a, a uh, scholarship to the workshop. We do three days um, in Atlanta, and it's three days straight through. We don't sell anything. We just teach you investing. And um, man, Danielle, I'm telling you, more and more people are coming because of this book. It's, it's amazing. And they're coming more prepared because of the book. Oh, like, that's wonderful. Like it was a little disconcerting this last weekend when it started in on Friday and everybody's just sitting there um, as opposed to being amazed at the work that we're doing. <laughs> and they're all completely up to speed on like, I'm going to take the whole first day and jack it up a, a notch because everybody's so prepared. That's good. Uh, that's great. Awesome. It's you guys so are, are beating me. That's fantastic. So, um, but I, we've had so many by the ways. Owner earnings. Net income. Is net where income. We start. Now, let us start before we even net income. We start by going to one of the three financial statements that every company produces. And the one we're going to, it's called income statement, which is basically your revenue minus your expenses equals net income. That's the income statement. The balance sheet is basically assets, the stuff you own minus the stuff you owe money on. And what's left is your equity. That's the balance sheet. And the cash flow statement is required in order to have you figure out how much money should be in the bank because the income statement doesn't deal with cash. It deals with generally accepted accounting principles and produces net income in a number that could be different than what you actually have in the bank. So the cash flow statement restructures the net income to reflect cash. There. Good, yes. Very good there. description. So the cash all flow statement always flows through my brain. Yeah. And <laughs> quite frankly, I and I've just like accepted this about myself. I look it up every time. And I'm just like, that's how that's how it is for me. And that's okay. All right. Yet one more aside. I know we've oh. got to go on this, but one more aside. I would really like our listeners and uh, to to um, look up Google an investor named Lee Lu, L I L U. That's two names, L I L U. Um, just real briefly, Lee Lu was one of the leaders of the Tiananmen Square. Uh, We've talked about him a thing. bunch on the podcast. Did we already talk about him? Okay, yeah. so go look him up. Because what he said to a class of MBA, almost ready to graduate from Columbia MBAs, um, was that what are they teaching you people? Why? How are you expected to? you know, justify your $150,000 base salary you're expecting to get on Wall Street because you don't know anything. These are second year, ready to graduate, Columbia elite MBA students. Yeah. And he's basically chewing them out. And he's saying, I would not hire you. I will, I, I don't need you to know accounting. I don't need you to know how you do investment banking. I don't want you to have an MBA. I hire people that can learn this my way. And what we're teaching you in this podcast is our version of that kind of thing that Lee Lu learned. He learned it from Buffett and Munger as well. So just saying, not being all that great on accounting is no detriment at all. What, what you should do is learn accounting, right? It wouldn't hurt you to get an accounting 101 book and just read it and do the, do the numbers in the chapter um, or do the questions at the back of the chapter, which is, by the way, Danielle, I think I said this on a podcast a long time ago. That's how I learned accounting. I know, you know that's that? how you learned accounting. Yeah. So well, let's get on with it. So let me, well, you can't just like throw that out there because 
for everybody who's on my team in this accounting situation, I have taken accounting in school twice. <laughs> I have had you telling me how you just learned accounting, just taught yourself accounting for my entire life. And I tried to do that. I got a book and, and read it. And it's just like, I am smart and I can understand and I can get the logic, but the the numbers and the names and the what Susie's and the which ones do which things just flow through me. And I, I've realized that that's actually like not a problem because the internet is here to help. So Fair. I understand what these numbers represent, but I always like, go and try to figure out like which one is on the balance sheet and which one is on the cash flow statement and which one is on the income statement and that is why on page 196 of our book invested i have listed handily where one can find each number for our owner earnings formula because i forget every single time <laughs> so you don't have to remember these things. It's fine. What matters is the understanding. Well, you are totally right. You don't have to remember that, and you don't have to know accounting particularly. But I will say, just well, you have to understand it. You have to understand. But in defense, what a company is doing. In defense of the idea that accounting is the language of business, right? You're sort of like, okay, now we're in Argentina. We need to kind of learn some Spanish to get around easily. Same thing here. You got You can still get around, but the more you know, the easier you can get around. And what that means to us is the more you know about the business of the language of business, which is accounting, the more companies will be able to be understood by you. Yeah. Be more capable and of understanding. The more that I've read about companies, the more that I've looked into accounting statements, the more interesting it becomes, especially as you start to be able to compare them and see differences between companies. That's when it starts to get really interesting. But I still don't remember which number is on which bloody part of the bloody accounting statement. It'll come. So, it'll come. Eventually it'll come. I don't know if it will, and I don't really care. That's my point. Just it's, go to page it's okay. It's the understanding um, you have of, to what, go to page of what 196. we're to get to that matters. You have to go to page 196 of your own book. I like yeah, that I do. Part. I like that That's part. not a joke. <laughs> that cracks me up. I do. And I'm always like, God, thank goodness I wrote this in a book. <laughs> Actually, that's really funny. It is so handy for me. Oh, man. <laughs> and I luckily have it on my bookshelf at home, like right next to me. So. All right, no more asides. We have to go do something about it. No, it's, you see, right this is now. a function of we haven't talked for a while, and so we yeah. just always, like, have all the... Usually we talk for, like, half an hour before we start recording the podcast, and then you guys get, like, the post-a-million asides. But right. today... Not today. Getting, yeah. Not today. Um, today, though, we're about to jump into it. We're starting with net income, which, can we just by end the way, the episode right here and be like, we're. <laughs> <laughs> well, the net. Okay, so net income is like the bottom line on the income statement, and it's transferred exactly to the top line on the cash flow statement. Yes. Now, why is that? That's because you are going to alter um, the net income. You're going to change it, and you're going to call it a new name. And the new name is going to be cash flow. So you're going to shift net income into actual cash flow. You're going to change because it. Because net from, income comes from 
the part it's the income statement it's the part of the accounting statement that reflects all of these like kind of future monies that are yeah. going to come in and you know bills that are owed but haven't been paid and all these sort of um i know you hate this but like what i consider to be like imaginary accounting i know that's not right accountants i know that but that's how i think of it <laughs> don't crack up at me I think any accounts who are actually listening to the podcast at some point no longer are. Oh yeah, having been They're mortified like, repeatedly. Yeah, um, but then you take you take that number and they move it over to the statement of cash flows. Yes, and then they kind of like add that stuff back in that and was subtract it back out and subtract it back out. Yeah. In order to get a sense of what actual money does the company have right now, which is what we're trying to get at too. And that's what Buffett's always trying to get at. What actual money does this company have? Right. And the very bottom line of the cash flow statement is the actual money the company actually has. And it basically says, okay, well, the amount of cash you had at the beginning of the year is this. And the cash at the end of this period is this. And that means next, the next cash flow statement for the next year starts with this year's cash at the end of the period. And that should match up rather well to the penny with what's sitting in the company's bank accounts. So all of this is to rectify the problems of accrual accounting in public companies that they are going to have revenue be accepted in that didn't come in in cash at all it was it's going to come in someday maybe but they're going to say it it happened and then they're going to have expenses go out that you may not have paid yet and they're going to say those happened and the result is net income that might have no cash at all it might be well, none. riddle me this why am i going through all of this work to find owner earnings and free cash flow if I could just look at the bottom of the cash flow statement. Ah, well said. And that is because the cash flow statement has three major categories where the company has cash coming in. The first category is called operating activities. So this is cash from the business operations itself. So when you sell stuff and and you pay expenses and so on. So that's cash from operations. The second category that we almost never talk about, or we talk about it a little bit, is cash as a result of investing. Yes, I have noticed these categories. Right? So investing means we are buying things that have a long life, like railroad tracks or railroad trains or, you know, something like that, or a building. Mm -hmm. So those are investing things. Or buying other companies, right? We're buying other companies, exactly. Or maybe we're just putting money in a T-bill. So that's investing activities. And then the third category is financing activities. And this is where we are going to issue debt or we're we're going to go borrow money or we're going to pay money back or we're going to sell our stock or we're going to repurchase our stock or we're going to pay dividends. All of that gets put into that category, financing. And so... You've got these three major categories. You've got operations, which produce most of your cash, theoretically, right? And then you've got some cash being spent and and brought in by the sale of property or something. And then you've got borrowing and selling stock or buying stock. So 
those three categories are very different from each other when you're looking at a business, right? Very, yeah. So if you're looking at a... I'm not sure we've ever actually talked about that. I, I mean, I've noticed those three categories and just noticed that we don't pull anything from the investing or the financing sections, but... Actually, we do pull something very important from the investing section. Is it the capital expenditures? Yes, it is. Ah, okay, yeah. That's yeah, the one right. line we look at. Yeah. And then we don't do anything from the from the financing activities um, because that's not really the operations of the business. And what we're trying to figure out is this a wonderful business and you know the ability to borrow money or sell stock isn't really that important to understanding the, the quality of the business we wanna buy. That's just a way of structuring your finances in, in the business. So um, we're really focused on the first chunk which is operating activities and that starts with net income. That's where the net income comes in. And we say, okay, well, the net income came in over from, from the original income statement, and now we have this income coming in. But the net income includes things that we didn't pay and money we didn't get from sales that we haven't received yet. So we've got to straighten that out. Otherwise, our bank balance isn't going to be remotely near what we end up with cash from, from uh, the end of the year. So the first thing we got to do is we've got to add back in the stuff that didn't cost us any cash. Okay. First thing stuff we got to do. Stuff that didn't cost us any cash. We didn't spend right. any actual cash on it, but okay. we wrote it off. And now to just clarify why that would happen, um, all of these corporations pay major amounts of income tax and the IRS and what you do to, to lower your IRS tax bill has a big impact on net earnings. Well, let's, if we could just keep to the order of the formula for lack of confusion. Okay, I would, fair enough. That would help me a lot. All and right. that's where I thought you were going though, because the first thing is net income plus, plus, interestingly, plus depreciation and amortization. Right, and the reason we're gonna plus it is because we wrote off the depreciation of equipment and, and buildings and all that stuff, we wrote it off in our income statement as part of reducing our tax bill. Because that's just an accounting It's just an accounting methodology, which, which has good theory behind it and makes sense, um, but doesn't actually affect cash, as you said. Right. Um, it. Well, I know people are going to raise their hands about that one because oh. you do have operating equipment that is depreciating literally not just for tax purposes but it is actually getting crappier each year so for example if you own a pickup truck and you use it a lot it's not worth as much a year from now as it was when you bought it new and that's because it's going to break eventually sure and then you have to get a new and one you got to get a new one so you're depreciating a real piece of equipment over a period of time the question is whether you're doing it right and the IRS sets very specific standards for how you do this depreciation structure. And sometimes it's very, very accurate, but many times it's not. It could be wrong, um, both long or short. I mean, it could, could be you're not writing off enough, um, but it's the most they'll let you write off. And it could be you're writing off way too much because you're not actually depreciating something. Best example of that is that companies will depreciate it, real estate right? They're, they own a piece of real estate. And since it's a business, they're allowed to depreciate the building that they own. 
but if you own a building and it's a well-built building, chances are it's not actually depreciating. It might be getting more valuable every year. Hmm. Right? You don't have to rebuild the building in 20 years. Right, but they're, they depreciate that. They depreciate it to zero in 20 years. And they also do some fancy stuff about, oh, well, we're going to allocate this much to the land and that much to the building, and that might be completely wrong. So what you really want to know is you want to you get out of all of this artificial depreciation and amortization schedule that you're doing for the IRS. You want to get rid of that. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to add it all back into net income. Okay. And then I mean, a later, huge question we get is why are we adding things? Right. Well, because we took it's it because off because it was of already taken out. Yeah, it was already taken out, and it could well be wrong in terms of the actual operations of the business. So we want to know what do we really pay every year to fix our trucks and replace and replace them um, or the buildings. So we're going to get rid of the artificial number, which is the generally accepted accounting principle done for IRS purposes. We're going to do that by adding it back in because we had taken it out already. So we're and adding that, comes that straight back from in. Warren Buffett. I mean, in his yeah. definition of owner earnings, he says you add depreciation, depletion, amortization, and certain other non-cash charges. Right, exactly a quote. So this is what we're doing. We're adding them back in because we wrote them off earlier but we wrote them off based on IRS rules, not what they actually cost. Okay. So yeah. for example, Warren Buffett warned everybody at Berkshire last year, don't believe the depreciation and amortization write-offs in our net income statement because they're too low for Burlington Northern in particular, that we're spending a lot more money replacing railroad tracks and railroad trains than the IRS lets us write, write off at any given year. Hmm. Wow. Right? Okay. So, yeah. So it, what we want to do is we want to get rid of the fake stuff and put in the real stuff. It's only, oh. okay, so hopefully everybody understands that. So we're yeah, no, it makes sense to me. If it makes sense to me, it's got to make sense to everybody. All right, now, um, the next piece of this is hard. So I'm going to recommend that we start this next piece in the next podcast. Yes, please. Okay, because it, <laughs> I know you're going to have some questions about this. And we want to have right. plenty of time to answer them all. So, okay. all right, we're starting off with cash flow statement. Net income comes over, and now we're going to correct it and adjust everything to what it really is actually costing us every year, okay? As best we can. As best we can. So we end up with what's really going to be in our pocket at the end of every year. And everybody keep in mind, what we're really doing is trying to look at a business exactly the same way we'd look as if we bought a house and we're renting it. And at the end of the year, we've got a certain amount of money in our pocket. That's what we're trying to figure out. What's in our pocket? Okay. Cool. Okay. Next time. More right. owner earnings next week. <laughs> See ya. Thanks, everybody.